Hi there, and welcome to the Oompal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number 16, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Jennifer Rinaldi, the woman behind the amazing hand-carved pipe stands at jrinaldipipes.com. That's J-R-I-N-A-L-D-I pipes.com. While she is an artist who expresses herself through many art forms, it was her amazing pipe stands that first caught my attention. You will not want to miss what she is up to. The following podcast is brought to you by the North American Society of Pipe Collectors. Hi, I'm Bill Unger, Secretary-Treasurer of the North American Society of Pipe Collectors and editor of our newsletter, The Pipe Collector. The Pipe Collector which is published six times a year, is professionally laid out and printed. We just began our 17th year of publishing with a 40-page issue that I think is one of our best ever. It contains a funny and illuminating dialogue between well-known collector Rich Esserman and Marty Pulvers, Rich's regular News and Views column, a piece by terrific writer Mark Dion, and much, much more. NASPC ended 2008 with over 900 members, but I think there are many more members of the pipe community who enjoy the writing and information that appears in the Pipe Collector. I invite you to join us. Dues are just $15 a year for U.S. residents, $18 for Canadians, and $30 for overseas residents. You can send a check to NASPC, P.O. Box 9642, Columbus, Ohio, 43209, or use PayPal at bill at naspc.org. If you use PayPal, add $1 for each $20 of payment. Give us a shot. I don't think you'll be sorry. Bill's right. You won't be sorry. I'm a member, and you should be too. I look forward to every issue and am never disappointed. Give them a shot today. Become a member of the North American Society of Pipe Collectors. I was able to catch up with Jennifer on December 22, 2008. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. On the line with us today, we have Jennifer Rinaldi, who carves some absolutely beautiful pipe stands, which can be found online at jrinaldipipes.com. She doesn't only do the pipe stands, but she also does the amazing tampers, which uh, you, will, you will also see online because some of these fit inside the pipe stands. They're really beautiful. you got to take a look. And, Jennifer, it's so nice to have you on the show today. Welcome. Well, thank you, Oli. It's a real pleasure to speak to you today. Tell us about your pipe stands and how you first uh, got started making pipe stands and tampers. Well, John and I, uh, we met each other, boy, in, in the year 2000. And ever since then, it's kind of been a whirlwind. Pipe making became something that, that John really wanted to do. He started to do it all by himself. And before you knew it, uh, we weren't just buying pipes anymore. <laughs> the the bug caught him, and, and he started making pipes. And I was sitting there in the shop, and he said, well, why don't you make a stand? Why don't you try making a stand for one of my pipes? Uh, it had been a while since I had carved any wood, so I, I picked up a piece of wood and at that time, I was telling the wood what I wanted. I, I made, my first stand was a horse's head because horses are, are something near and dear to me and I understand the form of that animal. So I made two horse heads and you can see them on our website. The first one is a lighter colored um, 
Burl, and the second one is in Myrtle Burl. It's a little darker. I made the wood do that. Uh, I had to prove that I could do it. Uh, since then, uh, I've been letting the wood talk to me more, and I think it's a lot more successful. Uh, I've really enjoyed this this uh, journey, as it were, of, of learning to carve and learning to make a functional object versus a non-functional object such as a painting or a sculpture. Uh, there's something very nice about functional objects. You know, they're used and they're they're kind of beloved. They mm-hmm. sort of become part of a family. Absolutely. I um, like we were just talking about a little while ago. Um, I have one of those stands now, and it is it is truly a wonderful centerpiece, and it, it gets a lot of looks already. And uh, it's just it's 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 a wonderful little sculpture in our home that is also used, which makes it um, just really nice. Tell tell me about the materials that you use for your different pipe stands. Well, the one that you have is is made of a wood called Amboina burl. It's a very aromatic wood. It comes from Southeast Asia. It comes from a a very renewable source. Uh, It's a tree called a red nara. Uh, This tree is a very unusual tree because it it, uh, yields many different colors of wood within the same structure. So depending on where it's cut and how it's cut, you know, the, the the beginning part of it, you know, nearest to the bark is where the burl, of course, is. I tend to choose the pieces that have nice striations. And as I was saying earlier, with such a beautiful piece of wood, the last thing you want to do is tell the wood what you want. You sort of have to leave it on your on your bench for a while and stare at it and figure out how to approach. And my husband and I kind of work together on that. Um, we look at it, and I ask him, well, what do you think if I drill here? And he might say, well, you know, why don't we flip it over and see? And, and that's how we start working the process. After the initial hole uh, is drilled for where the pipe might lay, that's when I start. You know, and I start kind of working with it and carving it out. I have several old pipes of different sizes that I lay in the hole as I'm carving sort of get a feel for how the pipe is going to lay, what kind of pipe might go best. And I go from there. The last two pieces uh, of Amboina Burl that I used, one became a sculpture that was more like Henry Moore. It had a lot of piercings in it. And the one that you have only is, um, I call that one uh, Van Gogh's ear. <laughs> because it's got, a, it's got a curl in it. And the curl was was there. It was in the wood. And I just sort of followed the grain of the wood and made that curl on both sides. And I just loved how that wood felt as I was carving it. And the Amboina Burl has such a wonderful smell. As you're carving it, it's like perfume. Wow. It, it, it's, it's a sensory sort of uh, pleasure, if you will. Um, and the, the tampers, you know, John and I looked at a lot of different woods uh, and Boina Burl is rather expensive, so I wasn't going to make the tamper out of that. I didn't have enough left. And the uh, the acrylic seemed to just fit the bill. I'd never carved acrylic, and it was really fun. <laughs> I have a feeling that there will be acrylic stands in the future. The ones that you have uh, so far, and the one that I have, it really uh, gives you a sense that it's a bit of smoke coming up. 
And that's the first thing that, that Vanessa pointed out to me. She said, you know, that acrylic stand sitting there the way it does looks like it's a little bit of smoke. And I said, wow, yeah, you're right. That's that's really interesting the way that's done. Um, but the, they're all so nice. Tell me about the other kinds of woods that you use for your stands. Um, I think one of my favorite woods is uh, a native wood to Arizona. It's ironwood. Mm-hmm. It uh, also has nice striations, although it's more of a chocolate brown and a light brown instead of a, a reddish burl. Uh, it is a tough wood. It's very greasy. It clogs machinery, it clogs <laughs> all kinds of sanding equipment, but it's definitely worth it. Um, John and I used to live in an area that had a lot of burnout, uh, a lot of fires in the past, and some of the most beautiful pieces of ironwood can be obtained by walking in the forest and finding these burnt pieces of nothing and giving them new life. And uh, that's one of our favorite things to do is walk around even where we are here, you can find pieces of ironwood. Um, we've taken to hiking with our dog, and uh, oftentimes we'll come up, uh, upon a piece that looks like a big piece of charcoal. But you take it back to the shop and you sand some of the edges, and you know you find a piece of magic underneath all of that scarring. And it's uh, because it's from here, it, it sort of has a little more history for us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sort of a living piece of art itself. You know, carving it, because it is craggy and it's full of holes, you really have to let that wood talk to you. You really have to to listen. And that's what that's what makes those stands so unique. I, I'm, you know, in want for some nice pieces now, so we better get out there and hike. Yeah. <laughs> the last one to hold. Um, other woods I've used are olive wood. Uh, from Bethlehem. That's a beautiful wood also, very aromatic. Uh, I've used uh, different sorts of burl. Uh, Myrtle burl was the one that the horse head was made out of. Uh, Another nice wood, um, easier to carve than the ironwood, but still a challenge because all of these nice burls are more dense and they tend to clog machinery. Uh, One of my favorites is... uh, it's definitely briar. Briar is just gorgeous. And John just got me a, a load of chunks that uh, I can start playing around with. And we'll see what happens with that. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Tell me about the different themes that show up in your work. Well, right now the two with the Amboina Burl are, are based on artists uh, that are very recognizable, Picasso and Henry Moore. Uh, and I think I'll probably continue with that line for a while because I haven't really exhausted that. Uh, the series I did before that, as I said, were, were horse heads and animal figures. Uh, there were there was a, a deer and, uh, and a, an antelope that I did, and those are nice. Those are those are nice, and I'll, I'll explore that theme again too. Uh, but I think that uh, right now letting the wood speak and finding the shape locked within the individual is sort of more interesting to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of commission work as well with the deer horn and the flat pieces of briar. They sort of give you more of a canvas to, to make it unique to the person. Yeah. Uh, we did a commission not too long ago for a gentleman and his um, father. Uh, his father was a hunter, 
so we put elements on that piece that had to do with their hunting expedition and how his father was the guiding light in his life. And that was very touching and very uh, personal. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes you have to listen to what the person wants, the, the client wants, and make it personal for them. So sometimes it isn't about listening to the wood, it's about listening to your client. <laughs> yeah. When you start carving, I'm guessing that you don't really start on paper when uh, you talk about listening to the wood. You start looking at the wood itself and, and get right into... Um, that block or that that piece that's in front of you, correct? Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I, I went to school and learned all of the techniques. I started at the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, sculpting there, and I, I went on to uh, UW-Milwaukee. I uh, did a lot of sculpture and a lot of bronze casting there. Uh, but my favorite teacher, I think, among all of those was the sculpting teacher. Uh, he gave us each piece of marble, and he said, look, I don't want you to touch this. I want you to look at it. And, of course, my mind always goes right to my favorite form. I want to make that form in everything, and that's a horse. And he said, don't you dare. <laughs> and he made us find the shape within, and that was the most valuable gift, I think, that any teacher has ever given me. Uh, and uh, to this day, my most successful works of art, you know, both in sculpture, pipe stands, and painting, have been when I allow the medium to speak instead of myself. That's you know, you're always you're always going to add yourself, but yeah, that's that's very interesting. I do some abstract work, and I constantly find myself trying to keep uh, my own interpretations or my own ideas out of it. And whenever I can do that and allow um, those marks on the page to do whatever they're going to do, I find that those are the most successful too. And it's very difficult to get there. It's not an easy thing um, to allow things to happen. And it, it's, it's a lot easier to dictate what's going to happen um, because you know what you like and you know what kinds of images and forms and ideas you like. Um, but what's really surprising is what comes out when you allow it to. And I, I think that's what is happening, um, like you're describing, with some of this really wonderful work that you're producing here. Well, well thank you. I, I admire anybody who can do abstract work. And it, it for so many years, it eluded me, and it was frustrating. There were a lot of pieces that ended up on the floor and in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That started to become something and then just didn't work, you know. And it's, it's, I don't know if John mentioned, uh, there are always those pieces that hang around the shop with with no direction. Yeah. That you sort of put on the shelf and go, well, okay, you know, I, I absolutely put myself into that too much. And it's just become a really trite image. Uh, I really admire the pipe makers that, sort of cutting edge, you know, doing these new shapes, and, and that's very inspiring to me. Uh, you know, working with the stands, uh, when John and I first went to the Chicago Pipe Show years ago, we sat in on a lot of the, uh, the talks, and one of the most unusual and intriguing shapes to me was the skeered fish. 
and that was that was completely inspiring to me. And I can remember drawing in the in the margins of my notebook. Uh, and at that time, I hadn't carved a pipe stand yet. Um, and I still haven't come up with the perfect boat, right? <laughs> so for That's that a... for that shape, but that will eventually come. I guarantee it. Very interesting. It's bubbling there. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Um, tell us about your artistic background. Uh, you mentioned a little bit of it, but um, tell me a little bit more about uh, you know how you when you first knew you were an artist um, about your your various schooling and then. Um, how sculpture kind of came to the forefront? Well, I, I think that I've been an artist my whole life. I, I was born that way. I have sketchbooks since the time I was probably four. Uh, my mother lovingly kept them all these years, and now they're, they're at home in my garage, in a box. Um, but all through you know my childhood and, and up through my high school and teenage years, I was winning awards for art. Uh, actually, the top award I won in high school was was for a sculpture, and uh, and the second award I won was for a pastel. So, it's it's been a thread that that will never be severed. Um, of course, I went to art school. I started at the Art Institute of Chicago, and uh, and I took a hiatus. I got into stained glass, and that was actually my bread and butter for 15 years. I studied under a glass painter in Milwaukee, and we restored uh, many Tiffany and Frank Lloyd Wright windows, as well as making a lot of lamps. And, and it being my bread and butter, it sort of run, ran the line between sculpture and painting. Mm -hmm. You know, you're painting with light, and you're sculpting a window out of lead. Yeah. And uh, from there, it just it was a very natural uh, progression. Um, I ended up uh, going back to school and getting my BFA in 97 from um, UW-Milwaukee. Uh, there, my focus was more sculpture, was more casting in bronze, but I was also incorporating my glasswork. I made a couple of lamps with bronze stands. And about that time when I graduated, a friend of mine contacted me from Arizona who had a stained glass company. And she hired me, and uh, I moved out here. And what it what a gift that was! Completely changed my life. Uh, this this landscape out here completely inspired me. And of course, when you're not looking, you find the right person. Yeah. And that was my husband. <laughs> and, and from there, and that's that's where the the pipes came into it. And and this is our life now. That's excellent. And, uh, yeah, we, we couldn't be happier. I mean, we truly are a happy couple, and we're living a dream. <laughs> That's great. Tell me about some of your other artistic outlets that that you still have now um, that coincide, go along with um, your sculpture. Well, uh, John is also a photographer. Uh, he's escorted for Arizona Highways a number of times, and he and I go on... Um, photographic trips. Not not recently, but in the past we have, and, and now we're gearing up to start doing that again because, you know, when whenever you create, you need fuel for the fire. And for us, the fuel for our fire is, you know, our painting and his photography. 
And in order to, to glean those images, you know, we like to hike and go out and, and look at unusual places. And Arizona has many of those to offer. So um, <clears throat> I can see in our future <laughs> a few more camping trips. Um, those shapes, the mountain shapes, you know, the, the landscape here, I think that is going to yield for us uh, different and interesting shapes, both in pipes and in stands. So, so tell, uh, tell me about your paintings. You're still doing paintings now, correct? Yes, absolutely. Tell, tell me about your paintings. Uh, the, the paintings uh, also were mostly horses. And, uh, you know, you were saying how you, you were more into the abstract. That is still eluding me in paintings. Paintings, for me, are still... Uh, very much horse-based or landscape-based, but I'm really looking to change that. The last two paintings on the website are, are far different. You know, I set up the background differently with the oil. I did some res resist techniques, sponged off, used um, saran wrap to create a few effects. And then I paint the image over those, and that, to me, is beginning to hit the mark in my heart. You know, it's beginning to really come alive a little more, and it needs to be explored. But it's, it's hard to split up your day. <laughs> I was just about to ask you that. So how do you, how do, you do that? I mean, I'm guessing that maybe uh, you're just kind of in the mood to do one or the other for a while. Well, yes. But, you know, right now, with, with Christmas and, and everything else, the, the shop sort of takes precedence. You know, you're always going to feed your bread and butter. Mm -hmm. um, and, and working in the shop is, is nice because I get to be with John all day and we, we have things we like to listen to. Uh, summer is more the time that I paint. Um, believe it or not, our garage is, is a great place to paint because of the way the light comes in. I can open the door. And, and look outside, and that, that tends to be a better, safer place for the oils. Um, the summer tends to be that, that period. And uh, the camping, I think the next time we go camping, I'll be bringing my watercolor set and, and doing some plein air painting, which I've wanted to do for a long time. But uh, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard to split your day, absolutely. Those are, uh, that's a good problem to have though, right? Not sure oh, which, yeah. which artistic outlet to uh, take on that moment. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. If that's my only complaint, God bless me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit more about your tampers and how you make those and what inspires you um, with the creation of those tampers and their, their look. Okay. Uh, the, the tampers generally... Uh, I haven't made one tamper yet that, that wasn't connected to a stand. So the tamper and the stand sort of work together. Uh, there are different holes for different tampers in terms of size. Uh, and oftentimes it, it's difficult because the tamper could overtake the stand. And sometimes, you know, I've had tampers that I started to carve and laid aside and actually had to make a new one for that stand because the the tamper just didn't work. Uh, as I said earlier, the um, the acrylic is is an epiphany for me because it's such a wonderful, forgiving medium. It uh, it really allows 
a lot of interpretation, and I'm looking forward to kind of exploring that a little more. Um, I've done pampers out of out of bullhorn and uh, turquoise. Uh, the ironwood is wonderful for tampers because there's usually a big enough chunk to, to take the tamper right out of the piece of wood that I'm making the stand out of, which really is a true marriage of, of both elements. Um, oftentimes, found objects make the best tampers. I, I've seen them actually at the Chicago show. Some people make some wonderful tampers, and we don't live in a vacuum. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you do. You do bounce off of things that you see, which I think is a, is a great compliment. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, have, I have no problem in an artistic community with, with seeing anybody mimic my work. It would be a real pleasure. It would be an honor. <laughs> I love how um, the tampers fit in the pipe stands. It's, it's such a nice thing to see. Well, I, I, I appreciate the, the compliment. Uh, I think that uh, an image like a tamper and a pipe together, it's a very tactile thing. And uh, it being a functional object, uh, all elements of those things should be comfortable in the hands. I mean, part of pipe smoking and the whole culture of this is the way it feels. It's so much an emotion more than actually even the act of doing. It's the touching of the, of the wood. It's the way things look. It's being able to put your hands in the crevices of the of the sculpture and of the pipe. I think all great pipe makers know that. I mean, if the pipe doesn't feel right in the hand, if the balance isn't right, it's really, it becomes a non-functional item. As nice as it might be, it might just be something that sits there. But I think that what most people strive for is an object that, that works, that, that's good in the hand, that, that's usable. I think the most cherished pipes in all of history have been the ones that are smoked to death. There's definitely a beauty in that. Absolutely. You know, different people have different ideas about, um, you know, whether they smoke their pipes or not. But I, I, uh, I don't think I could leave a pipe alone um, without smoking it. They're just um, meant to be smoked, in, in my mind anyway. We agree with that. I came from a world at the Art Institute of non-functional objects. Most yeah. of the things we created, they had us do a series of teapots. And all of my teapots were casts of a fish head. <laughs> and they were definitely non-functional. And as, as cool as I thought they were at the time, I had a truckload of those things. Right. And what do you do with them? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I in our lives living here, on this ranch, I think the most cherished and beloved objects in our lives are the ones that we use every day that are smoothed by the hand, you know, pocket knives, pipes, <laughs> all of those wonderful things that, that find a home and end up sort of being uh, treasured memoirs of, of history. My husband is a, is a pipe maker and a pipe smoker. I don't think he has a pipe in his collection personally that he hasn't smoked. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that'll ever change. I don't think he would ever buy a pipe just to have it. Yeah, it's uh, and if he did, it would be uh, a pretty big temptation uh, to let it sit there, not smoke it. I think. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because you'd always be asking yourself, well, uh, let's. I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what that what's 
kind of smoke that would give me. So, um, so your first, your very first pipe stand was made when? Um, I guess it was about two years ago. Um, and it was, it took a long time. It was that, uh, horse head out of, um, Briar. And it actually was done in two pieces and it turned out very well, but it took a very long time because the wood was something new to me. I've sculpted in other mediums before, but the wood presented challenges I wasn't used to. Um, I did get what I wanted in the end out of that piece, and I was very happy with the result, and, and that sort of stoked the fire. From there, I'm like, oh, I, I understand this now. Now I can do this. Yeah. And the second, the second horse head was a lot more Art Nouveau. It had a lot more movement to it. That was the one out of Myrtle Burl. From there, you know, I, I kept on with the animal theme and did the gazelle and the deer. And after the second deer, I, I had that piece of ironwood sitting on my table. And, and that's when, I think that's when I really started to grow as a, as a, a carver. Mm-hmm. You know, and I finally threw the, the convention out the window and allowed the wood to sort of tell me what its shape was going to be. So here we are on the cusp of 2009. What's coming up for Jennifer Rinaldi and her magnificent pipe stands in the upcoming year? Well, more more letting the, the medium speak through my hand, um, acquiring interesting pieces of wood on, on hikes, and uh, from some sources that we have. Uh, I hope to possibly find a stand for that skeered fish in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> something unusual, something uh, uh, unique in its way of holding the, the pipe. Um, I'm, I'm definitely in love with the idea of making a functional object. I, I'm just thrilled with with the idea so (laughs) the sky's the limit at this point that's excellent i can't wait to see what you come up with next because these are truly beautiful beautiful pieces of sculpture that are also functional and i i just i love what you're doing i love how you're incorporating these tampers the way that you're able to put these these uh two different things together in such a wonderful and lyrical way and allowing the wood to speak for itself, the, the way you're um, allowing those lines to come out is really, really be- just beautiful. And so uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. Now, the, um, our listeners can go to jrinaldipipes.com to check out your work. And I believe they can also sign up there um, to get emails, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sign up for our, our list. We we really keep on top of our website. I, I should give my husband the credit there. We're, we're always changing things. There's always new stuff. And if you sign up for our, uh, our website list, we will send you updates as soon as we get them. And, and there's always new and fascinating things. And, and on our pipe site, there's a link to our photography and our art site if you're interested. So, uh, it, it's sometimes interesting to look at both sites because you can sort of see where our inspiration comes from. Absolutely. So check out jrinaldipipes.com, see some beautiful pipes, see some beautiful pipe stands, some incredible tampers, and also you can check out the photography as well as Jennifer's painting, which 
I'm guessing we're going to be seeing some more of that too, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can't do one without the other. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you're going to do this next year, Jennifer. You're doing some really amazing things, and I'm so proud to own some of your work. It's, it's absolutely stunning. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to speak to you. And that was episode number 16, a chat with Jennifer Rinaldi, the woman behind the beautiful pipe stands and tampers at jrinaldipipes.com. Jennifer is a true artist who brings a very unique voice to the pipe world. Pick up one of her remarkable stands today. This podcast was brought to you by the North American Society of Pipe Collectors. If you're listening to this podcast, you will want to become a member. Each issue of The Pipe Collector is always filled with interesting stories, essays, information, and ads. It's one more way to stay in tune and learn more about the pipe world. Grab a pen and write this down. Dues are $15 a year for U.S. residents, $18 a year for Canadian residents, and $30 a year for anyone overseas. Send your check to NASPC, P.O. Box 9642, Columbus, Ohio, 43209. Or use PayPal by sending funds to bill at naspc.org. If you use PayPal, add $1 for each $20 of payment. I'm Oli for Umpal.com, wishing you very good luck trying to decide which Jennifer Rinaldi pipe stand will be next in your collection. <laughs>